Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. If you would please rise as we honor the public reading of God's word. First Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who is in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Father, how very much like the disciples on the road to Emmaus we are very often missing the things which are written of you in the scriptures, missing their significance, and not understanding how they apply to our lives How we do plead with you, O Lord, that you would open up our eyes, that we might behold the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may see even the glory of his sufferings, as well as the glory of his resurrection from the dead and ascension to your right hand. And even, Lord, the way in which that glory makes us more blessed than what we could even imagine. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, sometimes it's said of those who are a part of a younger generation, um, and often this, these kind of comments come from an older generation, uh, that the younger generation doesn't realize how good they have it. Um, you'll know there are, you know, you've probably heard stories of fathers or grandfathers. Perhaps you remember when you were a child and you remember your parents or your grandparents saying things like, you know, you just don't realize how good you had it. When I was a kid, we had to do it like this and it was way harder. You know, you, you know, you, you hear the 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 kind of humorous stories when a grandfather will say, you know, when I was a kid, we had to, you know, walk uh, to school uphill both ways in the snow, you know, with no shoes, that sort of thing. And sometimes it's funny uh, that parents and grandparents will say that sort of thing, but sometimes it can be quite serious. They really want the younger generation to realize you really do have it very well. You have a lot of blessings and privileges that I, when I was growing up, didn't have. And I had to struggle in ways that you don't need to struggle and just the recognition and reception of the, the reality that, that you're blessed ought to then uh, greatly impact uh, your life. You think of, uh, you know, this was probably true, uh, you know, the, for the past generation and probably two generations before us as well, that there are probably lots of families that could say, you know, the father works two jobs, uh, had a very difficult upbringing, um, never complained, put, it, put the kids through school. Uh, sacrificed, the kids then get an education, 
and they all of a sudden have a much easier life than, the, than their parents had. And that's something always to be thankful for. It's something that's important within life to recognize the blessings and privileges that we have because of the hard work of those who came before us. And so the question is often this, do you realize how good you have it? Do you realize the privileges and the blessings that you have uh, in this life? Now, in this passage, Peter is doing something very similar, but spiritually. He's saying, do you realize how good you have it as a New Testament Christian? Do you realize that all of the prophets, as, as highly as you could, would think of any of the prophets who came before the coming of Christ, who were in the Old Testament, do you realize that they longed and greatly desired to have the things which you have by right of being born in the New Testament era. They long to see the things which you naturally are in possession of. Do you realize how good it is that you have it as a New Testament Christian? And this is part of his argument about how we are to suffer well. It's, it's part of the reason, you know, why uh, those in the older generation will try to get the younger generation to see how good they have it. You know, um, perhaps your school is a bit difficult. Perhaps the chores are not that fun. But you have it so good that really you, you just need to, to get through it. You need to suffer well. You need to, you need to recognize the blessings you have. And that ought to motivate you to go through this life well. Well, Peter's saying something very similar. This, this life is going to be full of great challenges and difficulties as it has been for everybody, going all the way back to Adam. But you, as a New Testament Christian, have been given blessings that others in the history of God's people did not receive. And because they themselves did not receive it, they had to suffer in ways that you don't, and they didn't get to suffer with the kinds of blessings that you have. That's, that's what Peter is trying to explain in verses 10 through 12. Now, remember, this is, this is actually, verses 10 through 12 is the, is the end of the opening of this letter. Really, verses 3 through 12 uh, in, ch in chapter 1 of 1 Peter is a unit. And Peter begins by speaking of uh, praising and blessing God because of the great blessings of salvation that we have. Then he transitions into speaking about how because of these great things of salvation that we have, we really ought to rejoice as we suffer. And now he's continuing to expand on the greatness of that salvation by comparing it to what it was like, uh, what salvation is now in the New Testament to what it was like for those uh, in the Old Testament. What we'll see uh, from this particular passage is that you ought to rejoice in your sufferings, not, not just because of the greatness of the salvation, as Peter's explained it, but also because of the great blessing it is that you have to be a New Testament believer, that you, you do not have the disadvantages that were common for every single person who grew up in a time when Christ had not yet come. You are incredibly blessed as a New Testament believer, and because of those privileges and blessings, you ought to rejoice in your sufferings. And so we'll look at this passage now under two headings. First, in verses 10 and 11, we'll consider the description of what the prophets longed for. What the prophets longed for. And then in verse 12, we'll consider what it is that you have been given. So in verses 10 and 11, what the prophets longed for. And then in verse 12, what it is then that you have been given, which is the thing which the prophets longed for. Now, Look with me then again at verses 10 and 11 as we begin to, um, 
to look at what it is that the prophets actually long for. Notice how uh, Peter is uh, continuing on, as I mentioned, uh, the description of this great and wonderful salvation, which is the, the foundation for us worshiping and praising God and also suffering well in this life. He says, of this salvation, of this salvation, this salvation, which was ultimately rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. They longed to look into and did everything they could to know anything about this salvation which you have. Now, the two verbs here that are used to describe what the prophets are doing, having inquired and searched carefully, uh, both of them mean approximately the same thing. So the fact that Peter uses two verbs here is to emphasize how much they really are looking into it. And both of them are highly emphatic verbs. The prophets really longed to know these things. They looked into it very, very carefully. It would be very much like a child who knows that he is getting a present. And because he just has that knowledge, he diligently asks and search, searches for the present. He wants to know. He's asking you know, the, the, the mom and the dad, you know, is it this? Could it be this? Uh, did you remember that I wanted this? And the child is incredibly excited about just the prospect of receiving this great gift. This is something like uh, what the prophets are doing. They longed and greatly desired to know everything they could about this coming salvation. For them, living before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah was everything to them. And just to know anything about it would have uh, been highly exciting. And the greatest desire that they had was to know more and more about it. They were inquiring and prophesying about the grace which has come to you. You see, the thing that they desire more than anything else was to know of the things which have come to you. If they were to be told that they could live in your shoes, that they could, that they could live during your time, when you got to be to live in the time after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would know something of this Savior, they would, they would say, well, you, you must be the happiest and most blessed of all people in the world. You get to live in the time after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to know something of his resurrection from the dead. You get to know all these details, and then they'd immediately have all these questions for you. Well, what about this? How did this work out? How did the Lord Jesus Christ do this? This was the height of everything they were looking for, was to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this particular verse, these verses, verses 10 and 11, we have to, there's one particular question that we need to ask, and that is, how much did the prophets actually know of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? We have to be very careful to be very clear about what they knew. And also what they did not know. Now, there are several reasons why this is a very important question. For one, uh, there are very many people today who will try to use particularly verse 11, as it says at the beginning, uh, they're searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, uh, who was in them, was indicating uh, when he testified beforehand the sufferings and the glories that would come. Uh, many people will try to use that verse to say the prophets actually didn't even understand the things they were prophesying about that they had no knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then afterwards, their prophecies weren't about the Lord Jesus Christ in their own context, but afterwards the apostles could look back and they could see, well, if, if we use this prophecy this way, then we can show how the Lord Jesus Christ actually fulfilled it. So the claim today is that the apostles were actually taking the words of the prophets out of context and in ways that the, that the prophets themselves would never have even guessed that their words could be uh, understood or expressed. 
Uh, and uh, in this way, then, the apostles really aren't being fair or true uh, to the original meaning of the prophets uh, and, and their prophecies. So that's, that's some, something of the way that this text is sometimes used today. And so we have to be very careful. What is it that the prophets actually knew? Did they recognize that their words meant that there would be a coming Messiah? And was that uh, something that they greatly longed for? Well, in the context, I think, we have, we'd have to say yes, that at the very least, the prophets clearly understood. Well, one, it's very clear just from reading the prophets just cursorily that they did understand the things they were saying. They pressed it home to the people, and they even demanded that the people whom they were speaking to understand the things that they were saying. So there's no hint that they didn't understand the things uh, that they were saying. Uh, but also, just even in the flow of thought in verses 10 and 11, clearly the prophets did understand something of this salvation. They didn't understand it fully, but the reason why they were so excited and the reason why they inquired so carefully is because they knew something of it. If, if, they, if they didn't understand that their words were meant to be taken as a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they would have had nothing to be excited about. And they certainly wouldn't have been uh, prophesying uh, about the grace which is coming to you. That, w- that certainly wouldn't be true. Even in the, the second part of verse 11, Peter says that the thing which was indicated to them was the sufferings and then the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That seems to be something that the prophets understood and knew. They prophesied and understood what that there would be a, a Messiah who would come, that he would suffer, and that after his sufferings, he would later be glorified. Those are the things that we can say that they knew. Now, they didn't understand it fully. They didn't understand it in a way that you or I would understand it, as those who have uh, the full, complete picture of Revelation. And yet, this is something they understood. Now, if we were to say, how did they understand it or what passages could they have gone to, uh, that would take uh, probably hours to go into. But I do want to just uh, look at a few passages in the Old Testament that would show that the prophets truly understood these things. They truly understood the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ and then his future glory. For, for the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, where is it in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that a, a prophet would go to, or, or words that a prophet wrote that would show that he understood that the Messiah had to suffer. Now, there are a number of places, but one of the most important things about uh, the scriptures is that very often it is um, certain climactic passages that end up explaining very many others. And so if we go back even to the very first one, Genesis chapter 3.15, we'll see that even there, there is, a, there is included in the very first prophecy the necessity of the suffering of the Messiah. That it is even as the seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent, that the serpent himself strikes that in the same way, the heel of the Messiah. And there's no sense in which we can say that, the, that he misses. Uh, the, the verbs are actually exactly the same. Uh, the, the Messiah does to the serpent's head what the serpent does to the Messiah's heel. That is to say, the, the Messiah himself must suffer. And we see this then not only in, in passages like that, um, which then become the, the basis for um, you know all of the Old Testament saints understanding the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even in the characters of the Old Testament. Think of, uh, it becomes a very common pattern in the Old Testament that those who are godly, and who are set up as the saviors of God's people. They always suffer and then are glorified. Think of Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, who was uh, sold into slavery, who was then imprisoned, who was uh, imprisoned for something he didn't even commit, 
And it was only then at the bottom that then he is elevated and glorified. There are sufferings and then there's glory. Uh, or think of, of uh, Moses himself. Jesus is called the new Moses. It was very clearly recognized that Moses in his entire life was to be a prophecy of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Here is someone who grew up privileged in Pharaoh's house and yet had to live 40 years in exile. He, had, he was on the run as a uh, murderer and a fugitive who had his life sought by the Pharaoh of Egypt. And it was only after that then that Moses re receives all of his glory. Or think of David. Jesus is called the new David, the son of David, whose life is like David. He, uh, before he becomes king, his life is pursued by Saul. And in very many times, he is in fear for his life. And it's only after his suffering that then he is led into glory. So there are even the characters of the Old Testament that are meant to be depictions of a savior, a saving figure. There's always this pattern of suffering and then glory. And even beyond that, you could say like, well, perhaps uh, the new, the Old Testament saints didn't recognize that these, that these figures were supposed to, to show something of the coming Messiah. I think it is very clear that they did believe that. But even if we say they didn't, there are also very many other clear statements that show that the Messiah would in fact suffer. Think of Isaiah 53 that the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, would be led like a sheep to the slaughter. And later on in the passage, that it was the Lord's will to crush the Messiah. Think of Daniel chapter 9, the great prophecy of, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, how it says that after the period of 69 weeks, the Messiah, the anointed one, will be cut off. Or think of Psalm 118, a psalm that we're going to look at uh, in a few weeks in the evening services. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. All throughout the Old Testament, there are these indications that this one who will be the savior of the world will also suffer. He must suffer and die for the sake of his people. And now the prophets, they didn't know it as clearly as you or I would know it, but they knew it. They understood it from the very beginning. There was no other message which was said except for that the Messiah, the Lord himself, would have to be cut off that he would have to suffer and die for the sake of his people. And the Old Testament clearly teaches in the prophets the, the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ after his sufferings. We already looked at all those characters, Moses, uh, Joseph, David. There is always suffering and then glory. Think of, of even uh, another enormous passage in the Old Testament, uh, the promise of the Davidic covenant where God promised that there would be a son of David who would be given an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom which would know no end. And this becomes uh, a, a theme in the prophets that they will always speak of the one who will sit on the throne of David. Think of Isaiah chapter 9. To us a son is given, to us a, a child is born, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government, as he sits on the throne of David, his father, the increase of his government, there will be no end. Think of the way that uh, later on in, in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, the Messiah is called the root of the stump of Jesse, uh, the, the branch of Jesse, who will bring in uh, even heaven itself for his people. There would be a period of, of suffering, and then there would also be a period of great exaltation. Think of how even in the, in the, the evening services in Psalm 110, how we looked at the great exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God himself and would be exalted to that highest place until every enemy would be made his footstool. These are things which were very, very clear in the Old Testament. The prophets understood something of them, 
and they looked with great anticipation for these days. We long to see what is going to happen. We long to see that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would suffer, and then after that would be completely vindicated by God and be raised to such heights that every enemy would be placed under his feet, that in his day, the eternal and everlasting kingdom would be set up and all of God's people would be made perfectly blessed and that there would be none to make them afraid because every enemy would be driven out. Are you telling me that you know of these things? That you live in the time when these things are true for you? This is the way that, that the prophets would have understood uh, the coming of the Messiah. Now, as I mentioned, there are many who will deny this. Uh, so one of the ways that people try to deny this is by saying that the prophets um, were, would only speak of if you look at the context, a lot of these passages that others say are messianic, that they teach that there's a coming Messiah, that they really are more about the prophets and their own times, that the prophets really only address contemporary issues. So if you think of Micah, Micah only was really addressing problems uh, in the 8th or 7th century BC. He wasn't really addressing the things that would come uh, far later. But uh, if you remember when we went through the book of Micah, uh, you'll, you'll know that while it is absolutely true that the prophets addressed issues that were specific to the times uh, that faced them, when they pointed people to hope, to hope in something that was coming, better days, it was always, without exception, pointing them to the time of the coming of the Messiah. The prophets, the, the, the way they addressed their contemporaries was to say, you've sinned, repent of your sins, turn back to God, and do that because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. They, the way that they addressed the problems of their contemporary times was by pointing the people of God to greater days when the Messiah would come. And this is, this is recognized by all. Uh, there is a, a famous passage in the Talmud. So this is Jewish interpretation after the coming of Christ. There would have been every reason for these passages uh, to be interpreted in such a way as to, to, to deny their messianic character because the Christians were using them and saying, look, all these things point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Jews, hundreds of years after Christ, after the church has been established, can still write this, all the prophets prophesied only concerning the days of Messiah. That was, the, that was what the Jews thought hundreds of years after the coming of Christ. All the prophets prophesied only of the days concerning the Messiah. And so... In Luke 24, the passage we just read, in Luke 24, when Jesus says to the disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus, how slow of heart you were. Don't, don't you realize that all of the scriptures, all of them, are pointing to the sufferings and the glory of the Messiah? Wasn't it necessary that the, that the, that the, the Messiah would have to suffer and then enter into his glory? And he explains from, from, from that point in Moses the prophets and the Psalms, that is all of the scriptures, every all the Old Testament scriptures, all the things concerning himself. When Jesus does that, when he explains all those things, he's not imposing something foreign onto the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures themselves all truly do point to Christ. And this has been this has been overwhelmingly the way the Old Testament has been understood. If you look at the literature that comes uh, after the Old Testament, but before the New Testament, so even before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they all understand the, the passages which we take to be Messianic, all of them. They, they, they take it to be uh, prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the early church, you'll see the same thing. They understand all these things to be speaking of uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at Jewish literature after the coming of Christ, they will say the same thing. 
whether you do it, and, and then this will continue on in, in the Jewish tradition for, for even a thousand years. It wasn't until the Middle Ages that the Jews said, you know, maybe we should try to interpret these passages a bit differently so that the Christians don't have so much uh, ammunition against us to say that all these things are pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ because they, they work out perfectly. It wasn't until the Middle Ages that the Jews decided to do that. If you look at uh, Christian interpretation in the ancient church, in the medieval church, in the time of the Reformation, all the way up until the 19th century, when all of a sudden uh, some uh, kinds of scholars are trying to say that these things no longer point to the Messiah. Uh, all of those, all up to that point, will all agree that the Old Testament, the prophets, spoke of nothing except the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is it true that there are those who will, that you can um, misunderstand the prophets and in that way, um, think that you're reading it, reading about Christ, and you're not really reading about Christ, and you read Christ into a passage falsely, um, or you know, say that Christ is here when he's not. Of course, that's true. There can be ways in which passages can be misinterpreted, um, and people can uh, think of that Christ is present in a passage in a way that he's not. That's, of course, true. But on the other hand, if you interpret a passage correctly, it will always lead to Christ. There can be, that is to say, there can be many ways in which you can falsely interpret a passage and get to Christ, but there is no way you can correctly interpret a, interpret a passage and miss Christ. If you correctly interpret the, the Old Testament, it always will point to the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophets knew of these things. They spoke of these things. And when they saw just the glimmers and hints of it, they had an incredible longing and desire this was all they spoke of because this was all that they focused on. They longed to see these things. And so, brothers and sisters, again, when you are suffering, you have to, to recognize the great privileges and blessings that you have. Sufferings are real. But any prophet who also had to suffer in the Old Testament, the, you, know, you could say the, the highest and most godly of all the Old Testament saints, they would have traded with you in a heartbeat. They would have traded places with you in a heartbeat. They would have said, you know, give me whatever kind of suffering if I can just see the things that you see. If I can just have the experiences that you experience, then I would be more blessed and I would give up anything for that. And, and because of that, Peter is saying, you know, you really are blessed. And this is what he's, this is how he, he drives it home in verse 12. As we consider not just the things the prophets long for, but these are the things which have been given to you. Notice what he says in verse 12. To them it was revealed, to these Old Testament saints, these great prophets, to them it was revealed, not to ourselves, but to us, or some other manuscripts say to you, but to you they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. The prophets themselves understood. They were prophesying of things that would happen after their own lifetimes. Uh, there was a great anticipation. They didn't know exactly when the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. They had, they had a hope, you know, perhaps it'll be in our lifetime, but we don't know. Uh, we don't know the timing, as it says in verse 11, when all these things will take place. But we recognize we are, we are prophesying of greater days, and we're prophesying then, ultimately for the benefit of those who will live after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who will actually get to receive the present, like the child who gets gets who's seeking this kind of present, we're prophesying and aiming at that great time when all of these things will be true for the believer, where there'll be no longer just things that are are hoped for in the future, 
but they will actually be a reality. This is what the prophets were doing. They, it was revealed to them that ultimately they were serving the people who would be blessed in receiving these things, the things which have come to you, the things which you yourselves have. How greatly do you prize this great privilege and blessing? How much do you think, you know, if you think of the greatness of Moses or Isaiah, uh, that they would have desired nothing more than to have the things which you have. And notice what, what Peter says when he goes on in verse 12. That these things were revealed, they were, they were, they were ministered to the people of God who would receive them, and they've now been reported to you through the preaching of the word by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So he says, you know, these things happened. They were then revealed to apostles and preachers, and those preachers were sent out into all the world to proclaim this great message and news. Think of how amazing this would be. Think of, again, if think of this from the, the perspective of the Old Testament prophets, how great it would have been for them to even consider hearing the things which you hear of, that these things happened, they were revealed, and then they were preached to you. Like someone uh, saying with just a banner of uh, holding up good news after you know, winning a war or something, who comes up and says, look, it's over, it's done, we've won. This is what, what preachers are doing. Do you realize it's over? It's done. The Lord Jesus Christ has come. He's been raised from the dead. He has defeated all of our sins. We can finally enter into all of these blessings, all the things that all the scriptures have been pointing to for so long. We've been waiting for for thousands of years. They are here and they are yours. That's the message of the gospel. That's why it's good news. The things which everything has been pointing to, all of them have come to you and they've come to you through the preaching of of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, Peter says, not only has it been preached to you by preachers, but it's been even preached to you by preachers who have been filled with the Holy Spirit sent from heaven to preach these things to you. Now, this is, so it's not only even linked with just the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even the giving of the Spirit. This would have been another thing that the prophets would have greatly longed for. The prophets are constantly prophesying of the days of the Messiah when the Spirit will be poured out from on high. This is one of the, the, the greatest things the prophets were, were looking forward to. That in the last days, in the days when there will be this climactic outpouring of blessing, God will pour out His Spirit from heaven. And what Peter is saying here is, when you receive this word from preachers, you receive the word that has come through the preachers filled with the Spirit sent from heaven to convey these very things. This is why uh, Peter in, himself in Acts chapter 2, when he's given that first uh, gospel message uh, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit, he says, these are the things which were written. He says, you know, you're, 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 you're so amazed or, or confused by uh, all of these things with the speaking in tongues and, and all these things. It seems to you to be a strange thing, but don't you realize this is exactly what the prophets were saying. This is what was spoken of in Joel chapter 2 when he says, in the last days, at the end, when all these blessings come upon you, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. All these things will come upon you. And what Peter is saying was, was saying even there in Acts chapter 2 is those days are here. Those days are here and they are yours. Everything that the prophets were speaking of are yours, even the way in which you receive the message today, as 2,000 years later, is still a, 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 it is a receiving of the blessings in these ways. You receive 
all of these blessings through the preaching of the word, which is empowered by the Spirit sent from on high, something that the Old Testament saints did not have the privilege to receive, something that the Old Testament prophets longed to receive. All of the things that the prophets longed for, you have. Do you recognize, brothers and sisters, do you recognize the greatness of your privileges in the Lord Jesus Christ? And so if we were to ask, you know, what, what are the things that are needed in order for us to suffer well? It's a question we've been asking for a number of weeks. We've, we've, we've seen how, you know, the, the church, they are elect exiles. There are wonderful blessings uh, from being uh, someone who is elect. And yet there is also a sense in which we're exiles, where we don't live in, the, in our final uh, home. And so because of that, there are uh, sufferings that we must suffer through. And Peter has now said a number of things here. The main thing he's saying is that when you are suffering, you have to recognize the great blessings that you have. Now, as I mentioned last week, when we when we looked at all the great blessings that we have uh, for the for the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mentioned you know one of the things that God promises His people is that in your sufferings you'll be given faith, and faith is of greater value than gold. The only way that you can suffer well is if you understand that faith really is more valuable than gold, or that you can understand that there really is a great salvation that's coming for you on the last day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven. It, it can only really be a comfort for you if you really are rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And here is the same thing. If you are struggling with things and you think, you know, I'm suffering in all these ways and I just don't feel like I, I can eat, I can honor God in it. I, I, you know, I'm wondering, you know, how, how could God be in any of this? How, if he really loves me, how could he put me through all this? We have to say this, the same kinds of, ask the same kinds of questions. Do you really recognize your blessings as a New Testament believer. You know, there were all kinds of people in the Old Testament who suffered and died for the sake of the gospel before the Lord Jesus Christ had even ever come. And for them, even that was worth it. They, they, they had much less to go on in terms of the resurrection of the dead. It was clearly there in the Old Testament. But uh, it was not nearly so clear as it is for you. And yet, and they didn't even have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And yet they said, you know, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it for me to suffer well for the sake of the glory of God. And Peter is saying, if that was the case for them, how much more for you? Do you recognize your great privileges and blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what you need in order to suffer well for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the questions then that you need to ask yourself, you know, you need to, to pray that the Lord would open up your eyes. Uh, to understand these great blessings so that when you do suffer, you can, you can mourn, but not as someone who mourns without hope, uh, not as someone who can really have that ultimate deep sense of joy in your heart be taken away from you. You need to, you need to pray that God would open up your eyes to these things so that when you suffer, you, you don't lose your joy, but you can actually rejoice in your sufferings. And then you need to learn to ask the question, not so much, why is this happening for me? There is in some sense in which we can't answer it. We don't always know exactly. There are some things we can say very definitely. God is using it for your good to build up your faith. He's preparing you for heaven. Uh, all, all of these things, we can say that this is what God is doing in your suffering. But a better question to ask rather than why are these things happening to me is, am I glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ in my sufferings? Or as Peter will later ask in this same letter, 
am I suffering as a Christian? And am I honoring God in that confession of faith? Is God receiving glory? You know, very often uh, in the Christian life, uh, it is when we are suffering the most that God is also glorified the most. You know, the world can say, you know, I mean, think of, think of what Satan did with Job, you know. Well, Job only praises you because of all the ways in which he's blessed. If he suffers, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. He would, give, he would give you up in a heartbeat, God. You see, the, the world recognizes something of this as well. Well, you know, you're a Christian, but, you know, you have life is easy. You know, for me, it's hard. I'm, I don't need to honor your God. You know, God hasn't done anything for me. He's done everything for you. I'm, so you can honor him, but I'm not going to. But it's when Christians suffer greatly, when it seems like the world looks at the suffering and say, I would have no idea how you could even begin to endure these sorts of things. It's when Christians are in those situations and yet they praise God. And yet they can come to church and worship God. And even through the tears they have in, in the midst of whatever trials or sufferings they're going through, they can say, I rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I know what that is. It is then that God is most glorified. And this is what Peter is aiming at, that you in your life, no matter what you're going through, that you would glorify God in all of your trials and sufferings. May God grant you the grace to so honor him, no matter what it is that you are going through. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do rejoice in the great privileges and blessings that we have. Lord, to think that we live on this side of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, the prophets long to see resurrection. And Lord, we we get to, to live in a time when we can say that we even now participate in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That even as we must bear with the Lord Jesus Christ in suffering, so too, Lord, even now in some sense, we share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to know these things which others long to see, even things which angels themselves long to look into, beings which are far more glorious than we are, longing to see the things that we have Oh, Father, help us open up our eyes. Lord, so often our hearts are slow. We, we often do not see things as we ought to see them. Lord, our hearts are quick to, to, dis, to be discouraged and to despair when uh, we have been given all these things. Lord, fill us with your Spirit even as we live in the age of the Spirit, when the Spirit has been given and poured out. Lord, may the blessing of the Spirit so enrich our understanding of these things that we would learn to rejoice in our sufferings to the praise of your name. Lord, we do ask these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F dot com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.